Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to another episode of Education Matters presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Keith Poston. This week we're going to talk about House Bill 17 that was passed in a surprise special session of the General Assembly in December. HB 17 dramatically shifts authority over education in North Carolina from the State Board of Education to the newly elected State Superintendent. We're going to talk to the current chair of the State Board as well as a former State Board Chair and a former North Carolina Supreme Court Justice about what may happen next. Like every week before we tackle the main topic, we open with a segment we call Headlines. It's a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. The State Board of Education met last week. It was the first meeting for new State Superintendent of Public Instruction Mark Johnson and the first meeting since the board filed its lawsuit to block the law that gives much of the board's authority to Johnson. Now, if you were expecting fireworks or confrontations, you'd have been disappointed. I mean, this is the South, after all, where we're more likely to bless someone's heart than bless them out. Um, the board did cover a lot of ground, including approving the distribution of new bonuses for teachers whose students demonstrated significant growth or passed AP exams last year. New State Superintendent Mark Johnson did share some thoughts and remarks before the State Board. He talked about the impact his two-year service as a Teach for America Corps member at a school in Charlotte that serves predominantly low-income students had on him, particularly as it relates to the inequities and opportunity that exist today. Johnson said he will be guided by three principles urgency, ownership, and innovation. He plans to spend the next several months on a listening tour across the state before he presents a vision and action plan later this year. Kestrel Heights, a Durham charter school we covered in headlines in December, has more issues than previously known. Last fall, the state learned that about 50 students had received diplomas from the school without meeting state graduation requirements. This week, that number jumped significantly. The school now says between 2008 and 2016, 160 of its 399 graduates, or about 40%, received diplomas without tangible evidence of meeting all requirements. The Charter School Advisory Board is discussing this matter this week, and the Durham County DA is still reviewing whether any criminal charges should be sought. Finally, President-elect Donald Trump's nominee to lead the U.S. Department of Education, billionaire philanthropist and school choice advocate Betsy DeVos, was set to appear this week before a U.S. Senate committee to begin her confirmation. But late Monday, the committee pushed it to next week. School choice advocates, including Jeb Bush and Mitt Romney, have publicly praised DeVos for her leadership in pushing for school choice, including private school vouchers, while opponents have questioned her commitment to public education and her incomplete ethics review. DeVos is still expected to be confirmed by the Republican-led Senate. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click Education Matters, and read more about each of the headlines, as well as other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, we're going to talk today about a law passed by the General Assembly in December, House Bill 17. That bill does a lot of different things, including stripping Governor Roy Cooper of appointments to the UNC School Boards of Trustees and the State Board of Education. It also cuts the number of gubernatorial appointments from 1,500 under Governor McCrory to 425. But our focus will be on the changes in the State Board of Education and the State Superintendent's Authority, which is why he invited our first guest on today. He is Bill Coby, 
Bill is the current chairman of the State Board of Education of North Carolina. Um, Bill is also a former congressman and served in Jim Martin's cabinet and was the former chair of the North Carolina Republican Party. So thanks so much for being here. Now, we're going to talk about House Bill 17, obviously uh, passed in December. I guess, first of all, were you involved in any discussions with the General Assembly leadership about something they were considering doing like this? Uh, no, Keith. Um, it would have been helpful if we had been involved, but nobody contacted us. Uh, we were as surprised as anybody when the legislation came forward. Right. Now, um, I've obviously read some of your comments, um, you know, that you've made sure. publicly, but talk to I me, mean, just tell us and you know, tell me and the viewers, sort of what was your initial take and sort of where, you know, what was your view on what was done in, with House Bill 17? Well, <clears throat> as you mentioned, it was sweeping shift of constitutional powers from the state board to the new superintendent. Uh, it involves uh, the supervision and administration of personnel, funds, uh, all the things that we have had involvement with the superintendent of public instruction over the last many years. Uh, and this is not about Mark Johnson. Uh, we intend to have a good relationship with the new superintendent and do our best on behalf of the public school children of this state. But uh, we have to challenge this law because we believe it's unconstitutional. And furthermore, the experts that we have agree with us also and Judge Stevens uh, issued a temporary restraining order when we got to the courthouse uh, in, on December 29th. So uh, nothing's changed at this point in time. And I want to make it clear that we only challenge those parts of HB 17 that uh, took away our constitutional powers. Right, and that's where it stands right now, is you, you, you filed the suit, um, but, and, so, and there was a, uh, a stay granted, basically. So right. the law has not been uh, implemented. I mean, you, you still have the same powers that you had before. Yes, and we're operating the same way we did when June Atkinson was superintendent. And I want to make it clear to your viewers that the board does not get into management of the agency. The Constitution calls for the superintendent to be the chief administrative officer and secretary of the board, and she managed the department. We intend for the new superintendent to manage the department, but we are the ones charged with overall supervision and, and uh, administration, producing the rules, the regulations, and the policies that then have to be implemented by the superintendent and the staff at the Department of Public Construction. Right, and like you said, you've been, I mean, this is, you've been operating, you've been chairman of the state board since, what, 2013? Yes. Uh, so you're used to, you know, sort of working with the General Assembly, right. with the governor, with the, whoever's in right. charge. June Atkinson had been in charge for right. the, the first th uh, three years. Right. Um, but, and so you would anticipate, which I guess is one reason why it was a little surprising to a lot of people that uh, sort of this came about, because you would have expected, particularly with, um, a uh, Republican being elected to the uh, to a state superintendent, that you would have had, um, if anything, uh, a better working relationship and maybe a more collegial working relationship. Well, I really don't understand why this happened. Uh, 
uh, I, I understand the General Assembly wanting to be supportive of a new superintendent, but this goes way beyond that. And I haven't figured out what the General Assembly thinks we've done wrong, uh, <laughs> because we have implemented their laws with great fidelity. Maybe not perfectly, but when you get into implementing laws, it can be very complicated to take what's in legislation and actually uh, bring life to it. Right. No, I understand that. All right. Well, let me let me shift gears on another topic um, uh, that gets a lot of attention: uh, charter schools. I mentioned Kestrel Heights. Right. There has been a little bit of um, uh, friction between the General Assembly, the Department of Public Instruction, and the State Board over uh, charter school authorization and oversight. Um, what do you see? And, and, H, and HB 17 actually makes some changes there too. What do you see as your role and as the State Board's role in um, overseeing charter schools in North Carolina? Well, clearly, it's our job to approve charter schools. It's also our job to review charter schools and make decisions as to whether they should continue to have their charter. And in Kestrel Heights, uh, that's their issue because they're now, before the Charter School Advisory Board, having their charter reviewed, and then a recommendation will come to us. Uh, our board, we have an outstanding board, and we're not going to sign off on any charter application that we believe is destined to fail. Right. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars, and I don't think anybody really should have a beef with us because once the, the charter cap was lifted, uh, we've gone from 100 to 167 charter schools, and also the number of charter school uh, students has doubled right. under, under our watch, not just because of new charter schools being approved, because there's legislation that allows charter schools to expand by up to 20% a year and add another grade without coming back to the board. And so we, you know, I think we've done a great job. There are a few people in the legislature who criticize us because right. they think we ought to be approving a lot more charter schools, but we believe we have to approve quality charter well, schools. We agree. Well, look, you got a lot on your plate um, and a lawsuit hanging over you, but we appreciate your service to the state and uh, the job you do, and we hope that you'll come back and see us again, and we'll talk about some more of these issues. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thanks a lot. Now, when we come back, we're going to be joined by a former chair of the State Board of Education, Howard Lee, along with a former Associate Justice of North Carolina Supreme Court Judge Willis Wichard. But when we go to break, see if you can answer this question. Mark Johnson was elected superintendent in November. When was the last time a Republican was elected to this post? Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer 1896? Charles H. Mebbin was elected in 1896 and served one term as North Carolina Superintendent of Public Instruction. He was the first school teacher to hold the position and later served as President of Catawba College and then Superintendent of Catawba County Schools. <laughs> Quite a career. 
Speaking of distinguished careers, our next two guests certainly fit that description and continue to make their mark um, in, in North Carolina. Uh, first, we have Howard Lee. Howard is the former chairman of the State Board of Education. He's also a former state senator, former cabinet member under Governor Hunt, and I want to point this one out too. Served as the mayor of Chapel Hill, not only the first African-American to serve um, as mayor of Chapel Hill, but also the first African-American to be elected in the South um, for a predominantly white city. Correct. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty cool stuff. Judge Willis Wichard. Judge Wichard is a former associate justice of the North Carolina Supreme Court. A little history with Bill Wichard, too. The only person in North Carolina history to serve on both of the state's appellate courts, Supreme Court and the Court of Appeals, and serve in both houses of the state legislature. So um, you gentlemen should have a lot of uh, great insights for us today, so I appreciate you coming on. Judge, I'm going to start with you. Um, when a case like this, like HB 17, comes up um, on constitutional matters, I mean, how does the court evaluate and, and make decisions like that on constitutionality? <laughs> There's got to be a decision in the trial court to begin with, and in this case, that has not yet occurred. The trial court has only stayed matters until it can render a decision, but that then gets appealed. Uh, in, in the past, that might have gone directly to the Supreme Court. This legislature has said it's got to go to a full en banc hearing of the Court of Appeals before getting there. I will say I don't think it can constitutionally do that. I think the Supreme Court has inherent jurisdiction to take anything from the lower courts at any time it wishes, once there's been a lower court ruling. But my guess is the court will defer to that. They will not uh, defy that. But once it gets there, um, the court has to look at the Constitution if there are prior cases interpreting a given provision of the Constitution, it has to look at those. Most people don't know this, but North Carolina has a longer history of judicial review than the country does. Most people think judicial review begins with John Marshall's opinion in Marbury versus Madison in 1803. North Carolina had a 1787 case, Byard against Singleton, where the legislature had provided <coughs> that when, it, when the state confiscated the property of people who were loyal to England during the Revolution, the, um, there were commissioner sales, and all a purchaser at a commissioner sale had to do was present their deed in court, and the court was to dismiss the case. They tried this against a woman named Elizabeth Byard, who had inherited property from her father, who had been a loyalist. And she said, but we have the state constitution that says there'll be a right to a trial by jury in all matters affecting property. So the court had to hold, ultimately, it tried not to, tried not to go against the legislature, put the case off for a couple of months, try and get the lawyers to settle it. But ultimately, North Carolina, 16 years ahead of Marbury versus Madison, said the courts are the entity to determine whether the Constitution has been complied And that's why we have uh, a Constitution and you have reviews. You, you do go back and say, well, what, was, what does it really say? Um, and I do want to, uh, uh, I know that we're, we're, you know, Bill Kobe is obviously in the, a party to the lawsuit, so he, he wasn't going to be able to talk a lot about the case, and it's very early. You've looked at it. I mean, what, what are your initial, what is your uh, initial take on their claims about constitutionality? The Constitution clearly says the State Board of Education shall 
supervise and administer the free public school system. It says that the state superintendent of public instruction is the secretary to the board and the chief administrative officer for the system. So it, it, it is pretty clear to me right. that the policy-making authority is given to the state board and the legislature can't take that away and give it to the superintendent. Well, we'll, we'll see what the courts have to say. Well, Howard, you, um, you didn't have a bill like this, but I'm guessing that um, uh, turfs and who's in charge of what uh, was something that you dealt with when you were a, a, a state board chair, too. Well, no question. This tug of war among all parties, legislature, governor, state board, and superintendent has gone on for a number of years. And, of course, there have been several attempts to try and clarify so that there will be a clear understanding both from the public perspective as well as from those in the servant roles perspective as to who really has the authority to do what. And I think that in spite of that, there have certainly been uh, efforts made by all parties to try and make it work as, as much as possible. Governor Hunt, of course, was a key figure in the mid-'80s of trying to get this straightened out by asking for a constitutional amendment that would clarify this. That did not happen. Uh, there was a tug-of-war between several other parties going down the road. But when I was chair of the state board, uh, it was very clear uh, Superintendent Ward, Mike Ward, was uh, superintendent at that time. Uh, we balanced the power between the state board, understanding the state board was a policy operation and, uh, and the superintendent was the administrator. Uh, then, of course, uh, uh, although there was a court case that involved Superintendent June Atkinson, once she was in place as chairman of the state board, we would determine that there would be no conflict between the two of us. So for me, it's very clear. But at the same time, I, I've all along felt and still do this matter needs to be dealt with in a respectful, responsible, and constructive way so everybody has a clear understanding as to who's playing what role. Probably, uh, probably when it was sitting uh, when, you, when you heard the news, um, sounds like uh, Chairman Covey was surprised. I guess you were surprised something like this would happen um, the way it did in December. Well, I, I, I'm not going to say what I actually think uh, as relates <laughs> to the legislature, but obviously uh, this was a surprise. I really saw no basis for going down this road uh, in, uh, whatsoever. Things are working well. Chairman Kobe has been a very good chair. And, of course, uh, uh, Superintendent Atkinson was working well. And, of course, we have a young superintendent coming in who will need the state board to both help guide him but also give him support as he tries to develop relationships across the state. But I was shocked, and right. I really don't see the basis for what we're doing. Uh, we're almost out of time. Last word, uh, Judge Wichard, uh, sort of, uh, I, I guess, your predictions. You said you think it's unconstitutional mm -hmm. looking at it, but do you think that's where it's going to end up? Or, uh... I don't want to preempt the case. I'm a former Supreme Court justice doesn't speak ex cathedra, but I will say I think the clear burden of persuasion is on the legislature. I think facially the Constitution says the, the state board shall supervise and administer the system. Um, one of the choice points in the judicial process is... Well, I, I understand. We're, we're, unfortunately, we're out of time on that, Judge. I appreciate you being We always run out of time. But I thank you both for being We'll have to have you back on uh, for a full show. But after the break, we're going to have this week's Leadership Spotlight.
Each week, Education Matters spotlights individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education in North Carolina based on nominations from you, our viewers. This week, we spotlight Shara Walkemer from Carroll Middle School in Raleigh. Shara is an ESL Newcomer Academy teacher at the school. Take a look. Here at Carroll, we do many activities to go into the homes. One of the things we do at the beginning is we have a neighborhood crawl. When we pull up to the neighborhoods, we honk the horns into the apartment complexes. We even go up to individual homes. And when that student or that parent open, the families open the door and they see 50 teachers <laughs> standing there waving. The connection that we're making with the community, that is what's just the greatest moment for us. We want them to know that we're here, we're starting school, we're ready for you, and we wanna welcome you. Come be part of this community. We can go in, sit on their couches, sit at their living room tables, and be part of that family. But the perspective and the insight that we get about that child that we don't see here at school opens up a whole new light for us as teachers. We want them to know we care about them and how strong that feeling is for us. It's important everyone here feels that we are one big community and family for everyone. If you know someone who deserves to be recognized, visit our website, ncforum.org, click Education Matters, and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. There is certainly nothing new about a party winning elections and using that power to gain more political advantage. That's been going on for a long time. The constitutional questions raised about House Bill 17 will ultimately be decided by the courts. But what really bothers me is the continued polarization and partisanship that seems to poison every facet of public policy, including something as fundamental as teaching our children. There may be a very good reason to change the role and the power of the state superintendent of public instruction, including how that person is selected. In about half the states, the state superintendent is appointed by the State Board of Education. The remaining states either elect them or we, like we do, or the governor appoints them, mirroring what is done at the federal level. The public school forum of North Carolina, the group I lead, has suggested the appointment option before as a way to bring more cohesion to education policy. The current Republican-led General Assembly also considered doing away with the elected part when their guy was in the governor's mansion and a Democrat, June Atkinson, held the state's top schools job. Now it's not such a good idea, apparently, when the parties are reversed. Now, if such changes might be a good idea, let's have a discussion in the open and not as a last-minute measure in a surprise special session signed by a lame-duck governor as he steps out the door. If it's what's best for educating our children, then it should be pursued regardless of who won the last election, right? It was not always this way, at least not when it came to education. Former Republican Governor Jim Holzhauser was a strong supporter of public schools and expanded kindergarten statewide. Jim Hunt followed him as the nation's first true education governor, pushing for higher education standards for teachers, raising teacher pay, and creating Smart Start, an early education program that became a national model. He was then followed by a two-term Republican governor, Jim Martin, who pushed for increased spending on public schools and improved teacher salaries. He often challenged the Democrat-led General Assembly to do more to support public education. 
What I am talking about is not ancient history, although it may feel like it. It now seems education is no longer a bipartisan priority, just another political battle to be fought out for short-term electoral advantage. The only thing clear is who loses, our state's children. That's it for this week's Education Matters. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week.